Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Ed Lower and Melindy Lovegrove from The Chocolate Yogi in Sydney, Australia. Ed, who's from the UK, worked as a bookkeeper for many years in the media, entertainment and technology industries while nurturing his creative side with a side hustle as a voiceover artist for TV ads, cartoons and online media. Melindy, who's Australian, has worked as a community development worker in South Africa, the UK and in Tanzania where she lived and taught about sexual health and HIV prevention in a rural village for six months. She's also taught yoga and meditation all over the world. After returning to Australia in 2013, the husband and wife team started their business because they both had dairy allergies and couldn't find creamy vegan chocolate that they liked. They began experimenting in their home kitchen and started to get involved with Sydney Vegan Club, educating themselves about how animal agriculture impacts people, the planet and animals. Already vegetarian, they quickly made the transition to ethical veganism and began gently introducing the philosophy into the Chocolate Yogi's branding and packaging. In this interview, Ed and Melindy talk about how the environment where a food product is made and the energy that goes into making it impacts its taste, the key investment they made at a time when they were down to their last dollar that was instrumental in enabling them to scale their business, how they got their products into more than a 100 stores without a distributor, why national distribution is not necessarily the best way to go initially as a small business owner starting out, how they got an initial investment to get the business started after just a 10-minute phone call, and much more. Here's the interview with Ed Lower and Melindy Lovegrove from The Chocolate Yogi. Hello, Ed and Melindy. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh, it's great to have you. I'm very excited about the the growth in your business. I'm a fan of your chocolate, as you know, Chocolate Yogi. So it's great to have you on to talk about um, your yeah your challenges and your successes. So, but first of all, we'll start off with the question that I ask everybody, which is all about the why. Uh, you know, what are your drivers for running your vegan business? You want to answer that one? Yeah. Okay. So um, for us, it's actually changed over the um, the the timeline of our business. So uh, when we started, we um, were vegetarians with uh, dairy allergy, and I was really into my milk chocolate. And uh, but I found that all the the vegan chocolate that was out there that I tried. It, a lot of it was quite dark and it didn't taste the way that I found chocolate um, or that I preferred chocolate to be. So it was a, it was an unfamiliar taste. Yeah, we tried quite a few. We tried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, I started making it at home and then um, when we were thinking about starting a business, it seemed like the natural 
um, idea to follow. And so I felt like there must be other people out there that they want to avoid dairy, um, but it's really hard because chocolate, milk chocolate is so addictive. Mm-hmm. Like I found sometimes I was slipping back at the beginning of my dairy-free journey. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why we started. And then once we started, um, we got involved with the Sydney Vegan Club. We were supporting Films for Change. You're going to the events. Yeah. And through that, we actually educated ourselves about uh, what's happening in the animal agriculture industry and the effect it's having uh, on the animals, on the planet. Um, and also, we were already vegetarian, so we were also already... We, we also, we, with our dairy allergies, we... Um, we didn't have any other real like like some people dairy allergies have goat cheese and all that kind of stuff, sheep's cheese, and we didn't really have our, have that. So we were kind of in many ways we were almost already vegans, but we had the odd egg, so it wasn't. Yeah, so it just kind of took us to to consciously choose yeah. to become vegan, um, and and then to put that back into our business. So we actually started um, putting some gentle vegan messages you know, on our social media and um, and on our website and, 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 and eventually now, you know, it's actually on our packaging. There's some sort of quite gentle messages just to, I think it's just to build consciousness about our food choices. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I love that story because I can relate to that on, on several levels because I, well, I went vegan 20 years ago. And at that time, I had a major chocolate and sweet, well, sugar addiction, really. I would eat, you know, chocolate, yeah. and sugar. And I remember when I went vegan, I was like, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to eat? And luckily for me, there was a very <laughs> pioneering um, company that in the UK that's been around since the 60s. And they made a particular type of chocolate that was similar to Galaxy, which I don't know if you have in Australia, but we had it in the UK, which was really like you say that creamy uh, milk chocolate mm. and I was so grateful for it I was like oh my goodness because um, I think it, it is important you know if we want people to embrace uh, you know vegan living then obviously eating is a big part of our lives and if we can you know give them alternatives that are just as creamy and tasty and delicious without the cruelty um, that are healthier and all the rest of it then then that's that's fantastic so I can definitely relate to that um, and I love that story I actually didn't know that about you even though we've you know met a few times I I actually didn't know that that you actually came from uh, the dairy-free allergy, and then you moved into the uh, you know the consciousness around it, the ethical side of it. And I think that's really important. So I really want people to know and hear that because I know sometimes in the vegan community, people sort of criticise those that embrace you know plant-based eating because of the health aspects. You know, saying well it's a philosophy, yeah. and it is a philosophy. Absolutely, I get that. Um, but I think there's a lot of people I know, and you're now two more I can add to my list who have come at it through that health aspect. But then, like you, have educated themselves and realise, you know, become conscious and, and really embrace the ethical vegan philosophy. So I love that you've shared that. Um, and I think that's really important for, for people to hear that. So that's fantastic. And I also love that you uh, created a business. So you started out making the chocolate for yourself, you know, to satisfy your, your own needs and then found a market and created a whole business around it. So really brilliant. That was fantastic. Um, so I was going to ask you about, well, why chocolate? So we know that now. But why the name chocolate yogi (laughs) (laughs) yeah um it's a bit of an unusual one um well we are basically i i've been practicing yoga for 15 years now yeah and 
and I um, I taught yoga. I used to um, I taught yoga in Africa, in South Africa, in Tanzania, and I taught it in prisons. And um, and I was very passionate about yoga because um, I saw that it had a, a big impact on people and really helped people to deal with stress. And and there's a whole lifestyle around um, around yoga, uh, which includes what you eat. And um, part of that is that when you when you make food, um, you your state of mind is is considered very important. And if you're making it in a peaceful environment um, and and with a lot of love, then people eat that energy as well as the actual food. Um, so we apply that to chocolate and. When we make our chocolate, um, we always do it after meditating and we also chant. Um, we like do these Sanskrit chants that we learn which bless um, food and give it a nice sort of energy. We do that when we, when we make the chocolate itself. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that. That's such a cool story. Again, I didn't know any of this. This is so cool because it's kind of words you don't normally associate, you know, chocolate and yoga or chocolate and yogi. So I love that you've brought two things that are, you know, considered perhaps, you know, to be almost polar opposites. You found a way to bring them together. And and I like what you say about the the making of the food. That's actually given me food for thought because I hate being in the kitchen. I really don't like being in the kitchen. I don't like making food. And sometimes, you know, I'll make it you know, and I'm feeling a bit resentful because I'm kind of like, oh, I could be doing something else. So that's actually kind of interesting. But when I do make, I make a bit of raw strawberry ice cream sometimes. And I actually do make that because I love it. And it does taste better. So I think there's a lot to what you're saying there. So thank you for sharing that. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about some of the challenges because obviously you know in running a small business you know you're starting it up particularly um there, there can be quite a few challenges and one of the things that I found with talking to other vegan business owners whether that's in Australia the UK the US uh you know in other places is that they found that you know the more ethical you make your product the more expensive it has to be um when selling it to the public because you know if you want to make it organic or, or vegan um eco-friendly packaging um you know and you're not able as a small business owner as well to buy in bulk and get those big discounts that you have to make the end product more expensive so i'm curious about how you deal with that kind of challenge to stay competitive and attract customers well, we had a we had a real um, we had a real challenge with that to start with because when we first started out, we we released our first line of chocolate bars that were um, they were in boxes and they looked really premium and everything, but we kind of we were trying to get across that they were fun at the same time. Um, um, but the problem with it was was that it, the price point on them was was higher than people were kind of. Uh, often willing to pay and something that we discovered that was really uh really important was um looking at your looking at the mainstream market and saying seeing how how things are packaged how they're placed there like how they're priced because perception is like the one of the most important things because um how people perceive things on a day-to-day basis is 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 driven and affected by what they see, what they hear, what they smell, and 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 the fact is that in the mainstream world, there's millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars spent by all the corporations, the big corporations that are designed are designed to affect how people perceive things. So that's why 
when you look at an 80 gram or 100 gram bar of chocolate, they're all the same size and the same shape, and they 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 they're on, uh, in the same way of packaging the shelves. So um, um, perception is really important, and price because if you look at if you look at organic things in a supermarket, um, we 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 did a lot of research into how they're priced, and typically double the price of a non-organic product yeah. is yeah. pretty standard, and and it's it's perceived as normal, even though people go, a lot of people say, oh, organic, it's a bit pricey for me. So people who say that, they're not going to buy organic, but people who buy organic, they already know that organic is, it is double the price and they're, willing, they're, they're normally going to pay that. But if you bring something into the market that's like, um, it's three times the price of the non-organic thing and it looks smaller and it's, it's, it might be pretty and premium looking, but it's three times the price and it looks smaller, you, 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 you're, you're setting yourself up for a, for a fool, um, unless you've got a, unless you have got millions of dollars to spend on marketing to actually, to actually get people trying it and actually people seeing the value in it outside of um, what they perceive as normal. Okay, so you said you found a bit of a challenge with that with your own product. So what did you do? How did you overcome that? Well, we we um with that with with that we released um our our new fun range bars like our honey bumbly and our astral and our, our head in the clouds and um and the three new ones we launched in january um um but yeah we we, we released them so that we looked at it we looked in on ourselves and what really um what we really really value and we looked um at what drives us like we're very creative and we love having fun we we, we have tickle fights pretty regularly during the week. <laughs> <laughs> I love your and, uh, honesty. <laughs> <laughs> we, watch, we watch a lot of Disney. We, it, we're, we're, both, we're both sci-fi nuts. We love fun movies. We don't watch horror. We don't really, I mean, n- neither of us, I mean, I'm speaking myself more now, but I've never really bought premium chocolate in my life. It's not really, I, never, I, I would always buy the more mainstream um, everyday chocolate because I liked how creamy it was um, and I like the colours of it I like colourful stuff and we both love colourful stuff so we we went back in on our on our own to ourselves so rather than looking at what our just looking at what our competitors are doing looking at what we do and um and what we love and we, we so we came up with with um these these new fun bars that are fun they're creative they play the same game that the mainstream chocolate bars you see in Coles and Woolies play um and we 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 brought the price down so it's uh double the price of a mainstream non-organic chocolate bar um and then we put them in put them in um packaging that um people are familiar with and so they go when when they see it they go oh it's just like that chocolate bar and the mainstream shelves obviously it's a brand name <laughs> but um but if it's twice yeah. the price though why would they choose to buy yours over the mainstream ones organic <laughs> okay so it's the organic okay so is it about then educating the consumer and actually moving your product into the premium range and letting people know that it's in the premium range and that it is organic and appealing to those particular consumers who want to buy organic and ethical products you know i i think that um i think the number of people who uh are becoming aware about organic and vegan um, is obviously it's growing all the mm, time. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's really gaining momentum at the moment. And yeah. to be honest, we actually don't have a problem with convincing yeah. people 
to spend four dollars on a chocolate bar because um, people are absolutely fine with that because they know that their money is going to an ethical company. Um, it's not harming any animals. Uh, we're causing the minimum harm to the planet that we possibly can. Um, we we're looking at moving towards compostable wrappers down the line, but again, that's something that, as a small company, it takes time to work towards. And you know, people are really willing to vote with their dollars, and I'm finding it's happening more and more. Yeah. Um. And there's there's actually this quote that I wanted to share that I heard the other day on social media, uh, which was along the lines of, um, every time you buy something, you're casting a vote for the kind of world that you want to live in. Oh, lovely. That's so true, isn't it? So true. Yeah. And I think people are waking up to that because to be honest, we don't have, like very rarely someone says, oh, it's a bit messy. Yeah. Um, if actually yeah. those people who said that have actually, on two occasions I've seen it, they've been, um, they've not, they're not, they don't live in Australia. They actually come from another country. So uh, Australia can appear to be a, a lot mm. more expensive when you're coming from any other country because sure. because things are, do- in terms of dollars, they're, I mean, it, they're probably double, I would say. I mean, the yeah. top of hummus yeah. is like seven, what, seven, six, seven dollars here in England. It's like, what, two pounds or something like that? Yeah, Nums. yeah, for sure. So that's cool. No, I'm, I'm glad you've explained that. I think you, you explained that really well. What other challenges did you have when starting up your business? Um, so we... Quite a few. Quite a lot. Lots, <laughs> loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of challenges, right? And we, we're always having challenges now. It's just, I mean, it's just part of it. I mean, but we had like, I mean, when we started, um, it was a, there was a general lack of experience in every area. Um, I mean, I was a bookkeeper for 10 years, so. Oh, that's um, kind of that handy, helped. though. Yeah, I was going to say. It was that's very awesome. handy. It still is very handy. Um, um, but we didn't have sales skills. We didn't have professional chocolate making skills. We just had, the, he was making it at home and um, may, may, lack of funding. I mean, um, and. Also, just general knowledge about when to spend money on stuff and knowing how to get shops on board and and distributors and and um and how to make profit. You know how to actually make your company make money for you because you, you start a company to get yourself out of the rat race and not so you're not working your ass off for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, because that's very easy. You see a lot. You see a lot of people that start businesses. And, they're really just buying themselves a job Absolutely. for the rest of their life. But that's yeah. harder. <laughs> so, that's true. So, so, so what did you guys yeah, do? Because I know you've had, you know, like you've gone from, uh, you know, from like you say, starting in your kind of home-based kitchen to achieving national national distribution. I think within about two years or or just after. So, how did you manage to scale your business? What did you do with that? And I love that you've done that in such a, such a short. I can't speak in such a short space of time. Um, you know, without having all that experience. So can you give us a little bit of a kind of helicopter ride, a brief summary of how you actually managed to do that? How did you make that happen? Um, well, do you want to you, you yeah, I can, this I one? Yeah, I can add to that. Um, so it's quite a lot of things. I think mm. one is um, we're action takers. Um, uh, so we didn't think too much um probably not enough at the beginning (laughs) (laughs) we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into there yeah um 
but we, you know, we, 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 our journey actually started when we went on a, a business seminar over a weekend and the guy there encouraged us to start a business and he gave us just some basic tips. It was like, if you want something, you need to ask for it. So if you want investment, you have to go out and ask for it. So that's what we did. We went out, we asked for investment, we got it that weekend. Um, he said, you guys need to learn sales. If you don't know how to do sales, you don't have a business. We went on a sales course. Which we spent every cent we had at the time to move out, which was set aside for moving out the next week. And it was like, uh, it was a, it was nearly a four grand sales course, but it was every cent we had. And we just took the plunge and we we did it. And that was what said, that was what made us decide, okay, we're starting a business. Um, I love it. Sales. Yeah. <laughs> we had no we had no option to go back after that. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, point no return. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that happens, you know, when you kind of you're all in, you kind of gotta make it work. That that can uh, mm-hmm. be be a really good incentive. So what about getting into yeah. the uh distributors then? Because that's quite a, a milestone. Um so how did that happen? So um I think the the key to that is um, so after the sales course, um, Ed went out um, to a lot of stores, um, not just in New South Wales, but in other states, and so sold our chocolate into those stores. Um, and he did a really great job. Fantastic. And wow. So you did that one-on-one with individual stores. You began, you started by doing that yourself. Yeah. Awesome. I got I got us into about um, 100 stores initially wow. in myself. Um yeah, and that's just um, that's just hard work. Like it's just okay, you know, find um, finding all the stores. Like you can look at other businesses online and see what stores they're in, and then you can um, yeah, businesses in your field. Like in your, in you can either field. be your direct competitors, or they can be um, other other similar products like health bars. Or if you if you go into a health food store and you see chocolate there, for example, but you mm. also you're going to see you might see kombucha, or you might see um, you might see health bars, you might see um, vegan, uh, gluten-free uh, pasta, you know, um, you might see those things. Um, so you look, at, look at those kind of areas. Yeah. And let then, me, let and me then... just ask you that, just we put a pause you there, because that is really quite an achievement. Now, to get into 100 stores, if you're dealing directly with those stores, isn't that an awful lot of administration? Like, because you're doing all the, you know, the organising of the delivery, the sales. Didn't you have to have complicated systems in place, like to, to make sure that, you know, the stock is being supplied when it's supposed to, you're being paid when you're supposed to? Well, that's where my... 10 years of experience came in. I'm, I've got a, I've got a very kind of uh, logical brain when I need to. Um, and from word from the word go, we decided we were going to go uh, ACO certified organic. Um, and as part of the certification, it that it, it pushes you. You have to have all the systems in place for all this stuff. Um, and I've always like software solutions. So we've got since the word go, we've had inventory production software in place and, ah. um, and it all links to our accounts and it links to our website and everything and it and we control all our production through that um and it takes care of all all uh, traceability everything so Fantastic. for food manufacturing that's invaluable that makes sense okay cool all right great so you got that all set up yourself and then so how did you get a distribution company on board so um what we've found, and we we know other brands who've said the same thing, is that um, once you're in a, a reasonable number of stores, uh, distribution companies start to take notice. Um, and we were actually approached by a couple 
of um, distributors, and uh, and then we um, did our due diligence and looked into them, and you know what, which distributor we wanted to work with. We spoke with stores. Um, it's also good to speak to other brands that are with mm, those distributors yeah, and very important. see what their experience was. Yeah. Um, and and then through that we at the time we chose a, to go with a national distributor. So that meant obviously we went in, got to, into all the states quite quickly. Fantastic. So um, how did that help? So you already got your products in a hundred stores. So when you got the national distribution, did they take over those hundred stores, or did they just get you into even more stores nationally? Kind of both. You 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 offer the the best thing to do is probably to offer the um, you, you you give the store a choice because not not every store will work with the distributor you choose to go with. So oh, okay. um, you want to keep your um you want to keep your direct relationships open if you always keep them open, but you you want to keep the direct sales relationship um, and fulfillment open with the stores who still want it because like sometimes well distributors have always got minimum order quantities for that for the stores ordering off them and if it's like a little cafe or something that that only wants your chocolate and doesn't want to order like i don't know five three five hundred dollars worth of other stuff then um you can you can help them by maintaining that direct relationship um and you keep it you keep it um you keep it as a prepaid thing um when you can because it's because it, it, it's it's you're running, you're running a small business and you if you don't get if you don't get payment before how and you have a thousand of those coming in when people pay you afterwards how do you buy your ingredients exactly so that's with your direct sale presumably with distribution that's very different and that they pay you afterwards look even with this distribution there is room for negotiation mm, negotiation okay. um and I think you shouldn't be uh, afraid to ask for what you need, especially yeah. when you're a small business. And yeah. usually if they're, um, you know, a, a reasonable, um, like if they're a, a distributor that's doing quite well, they, they can have some flexibility. Oh, okay. That's good to know because I was assumed that distributors are very much right. There's at least 30 days trading terms or some, I think, I've heard are even longer than that. So that's good to know that it's worth negotiating and um, and putting it out. And also, I guess, then they don't ask for exclusivity. So they're quite the distributor themselves are quite happy for you to maintain those direct sales uh, with stores if you want to. They don't kind of insist that they have to take over everything. Um, well, quite often distributors do ask, for exclusivity within their area of expertise or their, their, or their geographical market. area, yeah. um, it is quite common. And you know, again, you have to negotiate that with them as to what is fair between, um, yeah, between you and them. And and it it just depends on the distributor and what you know and what you both agree. Um, and asking for what you want is really important. So if you want to get prepayment. Um, for X amount of months or for, for a year or ongoing forever, I mean, start with that. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's like haggling, I suppose, isn't it? But a bit, a bit more professional, in a bit more professional manner, I suppose. Um, but you, you have to, when you negotiate, you have to also, you know, there's give and take. Yeah. And also it's about um, saying to them, well, look, you know, you have to, you have to sell to them what, what benefit it's going to be to them. 
and mm. to support your brand in its early stage yeah. and, and all that kind of thing. And, that, and that's when talking to other brands who are with distributors who have successfully yeah. navigated around distributor agreements relationships, that's where that stuff is invaluable. Their, their, their feedback is invaluable. I mean, we, we can't go to one of our competitors and say, what did you do? Because <laughs> they wouldn't tell us. <laughs> um, but you could go to another, a different kind of, you could, we, we could go to a, you could go to a kombucha producer or a, or, or, or a biscuit producer or whatever um, and ask them how they navigated distribution. Yeah. Um, Quite often, people are very happy to share their experience. Oh, absolutely! I mean, many of them share on this podcast, like you are as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. I, I was quite keen to dig into that distribution because I know I've, you know, I've spoken to people within Australia and and outside who have had, you know, quite mixed experiences with distributors. I know one brand who started it or, or had a distributor, and then they've actually taken. Uh, like they've broken that agreement and now deliver their product to them, uh, you know, to the stores themselves because they, you know, they just feel like they're, you know, they're getting a better deal. And and although it's, you know, obviously a lot of work because they're literally driving around delivering, um, but they felt like, you know, that in some ways the distributor almost could destroy the brand reputation. Do you know what I mean? Like if they didn't supply them on time or if there was a negative kind of thing going on, there's the risk of that. When I'm just thinking, you know, you've developed these 100 or so, you know, great relationships with these stores and that's something to consider that you know if, if you've done that already do you then want a distributor coming in and taking it over and maybe not doing it quite as well I guess those are things like you say to consider and to to negotiate so um, that's brilliant yeah, you yeah. shared a, a lot of good good intel there that's that's absolutely fantastic um, I, I, I'd actually can I add something yeah to that? of course it's really important um, I think from our experience all those things you said um, uh completely a possibility um we're actually looking at changing our distribution at the moment um to a state-based distribution instead of a national um i wanted to mention yeah um i wanted to mention this because um i feel that from our experience when you're a small company and you don't have a lot of traction and i mean a lot of traction in the market um I don't think a national distributor is, well, from our experience, is necessarily the best place to start. Um, there's several reasons. Um, one is you just have one major source of income, mm. and that's really risky. Yeah. And it means you don't have a lot of control. So, like, you know, if you have a different distributor in each state um, and one of them's not doing very well, then you can work with them to improve that. Um, or you can get a different distributor on board, um, or you can take back um, and and do like you know um, direct, like you were just talking about. Um, and often with smaller distributors as well, you have a bit more um, like you can talk to them and ask them what's going on, and they'll know exactly what's going on in the different stores, and and they'll make sure that you have you know, good um, representation on the shelves. You want that kind of a distributor who, when you're at this stage of business, when you're in the beginning, you need someone that can put that care and attention mm. into your brand and really get behind it. You don't want someone with thousands of 
brands. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. That's really good, actually. Very useful. Thank you so much for sharing that. This is um, absolutely brilliant. Um, fantastic. So talk to us a little bit about staff, if you have any, because um, I'm hearing, obviously, there's the two of you that, that run it, and obviously you've gone from making it in a kitchen, I guess, to a facility of some kind. So talk to us a little bit about some of the help that you have. Well, we've... Um we since we started making it, um, we um, you've got you've got different levels of productions. We've, we've had casual staff, um, um, two to three casual staff part time, um, varying at times for the last for the last year and a half, two years, um, doing anything from um, packaging to assisting with molding and um, uh, and molding and that kind of stuff and and ad, some admin tasks, but. Um, it's really important that um, when you do get staff, you know exactly what you're hiring them for. Um, there's a there's a really good um, there's a really amazing book that uh, I believe we believe every business owner should read. It's called The E Myth. Um, oh yes, I've mentioned that a few times. Yeah, on the show. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in that in that book, um, uh, he talks he talks to uh, the lady the lady who's he's having a discussion with uh, Sarah. Because um, he does in the audio book, it's we him. The the audio we have the audio book. It's fantastic. He's, and he has a conversation with her, and it's like, uh, so, oh, Sarah was telling me about her experience. I poured her another cup of tea. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, he mentions Sarah mentions her first staff member. How initially the staff member was like a godsend, and she she could just pile off anything she wanted onto her, but then. But then that person then becomes someone that doesn't know their role properly, and yes. yeah, they just they they're not they're, and they become the business becomes severely dependent upon them because, um, and they know they essentially know all the ins and outs, but they don't actually know how to do the jobs. And and I mean we we experienced that, and it made the relationship with our staff member at the time quite tricky because um, because the staff member didn't know. Um, exactly what their role was, and it, 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 it added layers of stress, you know. So, le- having having staff members for specific purposes. If you're going to hire a kitchen assistant, um, hire them as a kitchen assistant. That's it, and then write a checklist of of every job you want them to do on a daily basis, and don't don't deviate from that. Don't say, oh, could you give us hand with these receipts? Or yes, um, yes. Go and go run to the shop to me and buy some buy some biscuits or whatever or anything like that and or do the post run you know it's um just hire staff specifically for what you want them to do and have an have an organization chart as well like um uh, how you want your business to look um and then you can graduate there's the email you know you know the email that covers all this stuff and um um the org chart since we did ours is invaluable and um helps us see where we're going um and um uh having staff for specific tasks um, is really important. Yeah, I think that's that is that's a really good point actually as well. And like you said, so that you know, if the it can it can uh, make a staff member feel confused and stressed if they've got all this stuff. But also, like you say, if they leave, you've actually lost several roles. You know, yeah. like you haven't just lost, like you said, the kitchen assistant. You've lost, you know, the kitchen assistant come bookkeeper, receipt keeper come, what have you. So that that's yeah. really good advice. And and actually, I think the E Myth. I 
pretty sure I saw online he's actually written an updated version there's actually a new version out that's updated I thought I saw so the revisited one yeah for <laughs> sure excellent um, and one other expert help have you used like to grow your business obviously you said you went on the sales course um, and and you've learned how to do that um, what what other um, expert help, if any, have you used to grow the business? Uh, well, we've actually had from day one, um, we've had a we've had a coach, business coach, from day one. Um, and um, we, our first business coach, um, she was amazing. She was so fantastic, and she she helped us with our general business skills massively, and and all areas of our business, and um. um and we worked with her for a year, year and a half, I think. Um, and um, she helped. She helped me. In, in, for example, she helped me increase my sales um, conversion rate when I was out on the road. From I think it was like forty percent to seventy percent, um, maybe thirty percent to seventy percent, um, just by having a, her give me uh, share with me her experience and how to, you know, things like things like how to value yourself, wear a nice crisp iron white shirt with smart work pants and smart work pants with suit pants, um, shoot trousers, um, and smart polished shoes and, um, and have, and, and the way you, when you go out, have a script when you sell script is, an, is, is essential and, and know your numbers inside out, know your customers, know your markups, know everything and, um, about what you're selling and, um, and so we had a coach from day one and then, um, and then we, we, we moved towards um, a different coach because we realized we needed someone actually in our industry who's done what we've done, what we're doing, who's got to where we want to be. Um, yeah. And so we, we switched to a coach who works in, in, the, in the food industry. Um, and um, um, is a health food business, like sells manufacturers and makes health food um so they can and they the the, 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 the five whatever it is however many five hundred a thousand dollars a session um to gain insights from them their insights are worth 10 times that 100 times that from yeah. that session because it helped us with our helped us like save our business on a number of occasions and um um and then also we do we we I mean we've done some of the emis coaching um, which is which is invaluable as well fantastic so a coach is invaluable like a lot, a lot of people um, a lot of people in older generations um, who aren't who haven't worked in businesses or are more of a more of a kind of employee mindset who are running a little trade trade businesses they say oh I don't need a coach I need help I already know what I'm doing yeah um, yeah that's true there is but um you get you get a coach who's if you want to wait if you want to make I I always say if I wanted to be a famous actor if I wanted to be a successful actor um I trained as an actor if I wanted to be a successful actor I would go and ask now I would go and ask a successful actor a famous actor I want to be like to train me or who who trained them you know go straight to the source and find yeah, out absolutely no that's how, great yeah. advice very good advice yeah important to invest in yourself as well as your business which is fantastic yeah what about marketing then in terms of PR because you've got social media and you know there's a lot of things to juggle with you know running the business as well as marketing it so what are some of the key um, marketing strategies you've used that have been successful in getting your brand out there you mentioned a couple already actually which was going to events like sponsoring events run by Sydney Vegan Club for example and, and I know I've seen you at 
events like vegan expos and, and stuff like that. So what about other other ways of marketing? Yeah, um, well, I might <laughs> I might struggle with this a bit because we um, we've had the classic small business problem um, in, in the last couple of years of because we're also running, you know, a manufacturing business. Um, so we have to manufacture the chocolate as well as sell it, market it, um, and run the business. Um, sometimes some areas get less attention than others. Um, this is one area where um, we're just starting to put a bit more attention on it now. Um, so the main thing that we've done really is um, off, so there's offline and online marketing. So we, we do a lot of events. Um, we mainly focus on vegan events now. Um, we go there with our chocolate and just spread chocolatey love and we have our chocolate fountain so, you know, people can Yes, see, that's know, amazing. They, that's a real eye catcher actually. It certainly catches my eye whenever I'm I see you. I'm like, Oh, there's the fountain <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, exactly. And uh so yeah, we, when we do online in terms of we have social media, uh, we mainly use Instagram and Facebook um, and we just use it as a way of communicating with people um, and uh, just putting pretty pictures of food up there and, <laughs> and communicating our message as well. Um, so it's quite simple at the moment. Um, I'd actually say the main marketing Thing that um, we've really taken on board is um, this idea of um, have you heard of the purple cow yes Seth Godin yes yeah but so this is something that we've kind of run with which is really um, making our products stand out making them uh, thinking outside the box doing something unusual uh, something that will make people sort of stand up and take notice I think I think that's the ultimate thing that we aim for in our marketing yeah and and I think that definitely works as I say it's very eye-catching your brand I've seen your products I think it was in Dr Earth um in Newtown Mm. in Sydney and your eye definitely goes to to them because of the the colorfulness and the quirky names and and what have you so that's definitely working fantastic now we touched on something earlier which um uh, which I want to talk about next is around funding the businesses because like you say you know you're obviously starting a business of any kind it does take some investment. And you said that you went to a business workshop and you asked for investment and got it. Are you, what are you able to share about that? Because that sounds pretty cool and interesting. Well, um, we, went, so we went to the workshop and it was a two-day event. Um, and we went there. It was a free event. We went there out of curiosity. We were already considering maybe starting a chocolate business and um, running it in markets once a week, twice a week to get ourselves some cash because we were, we were in a bit of a a bit of a, a, a poverty trap at the time because we'd we'd been in Australia six months and Lindy's Australian but um, she'd been in England for 16 years and um, um, without as you know without Australian working experience getting a job here is very challenging sure. so it can be yeah. very challenging so so we went it was kind of we went to the seminar out of like curiosity and a little bit of desperation I suppose um, and we were we were ready to we were we were kind of ready to pop um, um, we were already well on on the way thinking we're going to start this. So we we did this event, um, and some of the main things that um, the mentor taught us was um, the one: ask what you want, 
um, ask for something, you might just get it. Number two, um, you do a small business and a large business. It's the same amount of work, but smaller results with small business. So you might as well do a large business. Um, and three, you've got to learn to sell. So like we said earlier, we stood up at the at the end when he was doing the special deals from the stage on his sales program. Um, and we'd stood up and we, we, we took the deal and we, we went on the sales course um, a month later. Um, and um, we got home that evening. We thought, wow, we've just spent every cent we had. And we're meant to be moving house in a week. Um, looks like we're starting a chocolate business. So <laughs> I, I ran the numbers on um, what I thought at the time um, a chocolate business would cost without any idea. Um, and I don't, I don't know where I, how, how I got to this figure. It was, um, well, I probably do. I've got the figures, my workings for it, but it's about 30, 30 $35,000 um, just to get us started. And, um, um, and we were thinking big at that time. We were thinking, you know, like trademarks, um, website, domains, all that kind of stuff and, 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 and protecting a, a large um, idea. Um, yeah. And yeah. so we called up, we literally made a list of people we, we, we uh, knew had money um, and um, we called up a family member um, who had um, who had some money and um, not a lot, but um, we knew they, they had some and we asked them and um, I sold them on the idea for five minutes. Um, and because we were so passionate, we're going to change the world and we're going to make this chocolate that's amazing. Um, and, um, um, and within five, ten minutes, um, we had the investor signed, sealed, $35,000. Um, oh, and nice. in two, da- two days, it was in our bank account. So it, it really goes to show you, you've got to ask. And you might just get it. Um, That's fantastic. So that, I love that. I really want people to just stop and pause and acknowledge that because that that is, you know, a lot of people just, you know, they would think, oh, my God, I couldn't possibly do that. Do you know what I mean? That, that would be cringing. So mm. I, I love the fact that you've just put it out there and obviously you sold it. And as well as uh, I want to point out your passion, because I think that can, that can be what really sells it. Yeah, I'm sure people want to see the figures. Yeah. They want to know that, you know, you're not just, you know, kind of dreaming and you haven't got the realities in place. But that passion. And I know when I've interviewed investors, I've interviewed two on this show and both of them have said you know that passion is so important the people behind the product yeah. is so important so I love that you've you've shared that um so uh, that's awesome so and can I ask I, I, if I'm going into too much detail and you don't want to share that's absolutely fine but like so in in that did they buy into the company or was it more of a loan or how did that like if they got shares in your company or was it more of a loan arrangement? Uh, look, we've, um, we've had um we've had several um in, in several in, in injections is both arrangements loans and oh, um loans and in loans and shares and um um the the thing is you, you don't want to give all your company away um and you want to do, do as little as possible as that and to be honest when you're starting up business you you want to start with people you know like in your immediate circles family and friends um and you keep it professional, like you you sell it as a professional venture, um, and um, you you treat them like a professional uh, lender or investor, um, and that that way you, you don't want to have those blurry lines between family members because that can kind of create um, um, friction sometimes. Yes, um, yeah, I'm glad you've touched on that. So really, you know, it's banks and traditional lenders, they're they're, they're reluctant to, from what we've experienced, having had only been here six months when we started it, and we went, we went, we went for bank funding like six months into our business, and everyone said, 
no, because like a six month old business yeah. um, from, from, a, from a, from a, a British person who's, who's still on a, on a, on a, on a, like yeah. a, <laughs> then a Australian person who's never worked in their life in Australia, <laughs> just like, yeah, it, it, they kind of like, they, they politely, they politely have to turn you down. Um, and, um, it, it, it can be very challenging, you know, so starting with your, starting with people you actually know, um, who, uh, who, who can help you out, um, is, 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 is really important. And also, um, and also just that, like you said, that passion thing. I think the thing is, like I said previously, we were, we were ready to pop, like we were ready to just go for it. And, and I think Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad said, um, once, um, maybe it was someone else. They said, um, uh, someone asked them at a seminar, um, should I start a business? I'm thinking about it. Um, and he said, no, if you're asking that question and you're not ready to start it, because mm. people who are ready to start a business, they're just, they're ready. They pop, they're pop. They're yes. Pop. You're not just thinking about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that makes, makes perfect sense. That's fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing that. I know because some businesses, they're maybe a bit guarded and don't want to really share how they got started. So I love that you, you know, have broached that and, and uh, you know, given some, uh, yeah, some really good advice there to, you know, give people permission, hopefully, to yeah. be brave and ask. Because at the end of the day, you know, they can only say no. And I think sometimes as well, and I think it's Anthony Robbins, I, I probably heard it first from him, is that, you know, one of our core fears as human beings is, you know, that being rejected, uh, you know, we yeah. don't like it. And so we kind of avoid situations where we do it. But obviously, you know, in order to to go forward and, um, you know, be successful, you've got to put yourself out there. And some people will say yes and love you. And some people will say no. And you've just got to handle that and, you know, not be, you know, devastated by it. And, and so that you don't carry on, you just kind of go with the yeses, roll with the yeses, but it's definitely worth putting yourself out there. So I love that you've you've shared that that's wonderful um so i'll just ask you a final question then and tell us about where you're at you've already had some wonderful success and i love that you've shown that you can come from another country as well and in a short space of time still be very successful so what's your um, future plans for your brand and yourselves that's a tricky one well we're only we're still only two and a half years old so we're still in that we are still in that infancy phase, so um, um, yeah, we we want to to grow into um, a strong um, established brand in Australia, and um, we want to um, do more kind of things that inspire us, like mm. work with more charities, um, which is something we've just started doing. Uh, we donate ten cents from every bar that we sell um, to Sea Shepherd now. Oh, yeah, the, the, the new lines, the the the, the happy thought. Have you seen the new three ones? Happy thoughts, Brocky Toppy, and Kevin I don't and think Jazz. I have. No, I haven't. Oh. oh, you you could grab them down to the uh, the cruelty free shop. In, oh, uh, okay. I'll have a look <laughs> next time I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you could grab them down there. They're they're the same size, same price, but they. They have the Sea Shepherd sticker on them on the Fantastic. front. Fantastic! Oh, lovely! That's a smart move. Awesome. So basically, you're looking to expand across Australia and then, well, international <laughs> after that. 
other planets. Awesome. That's good. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. We big big vision. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, we talked with two Martians and a moon in the moment. Uh, well, those spacey ones that you've got, the astral ones, they'd be perfect, wouldn't they? Yeah. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So, look, you've shared some wonderful um, intel and information um, and strategies. I think people, are, so many people are going to get a lot out of it. I've learned a lot. I always do, and I, I learn a lot from everyone I interview, but that's been really, really super helpful. So, I really appreciate both of you um, taking the time to speak with me today. I'm looking forward to personally seeing your chocolate fountain at an upcoming events and enjoying your chocolate. So oh, you will. Thank you. Thank you, Ed and Melindy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Katrina, for having us. Thank you so much. So that was Ed Lower and Melindy Lovegrove from The Chocolate Yogi. You can find out more at thechocolateyogi.com.au. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 61. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Birmingham in the UK is getting its first vegan and sugar-free cafe this month. That's March 2017. Reports I am Birmingham. The Natural Healthy Foods restaurant will open in the city's centre following the success of its Digbeth store, which opened in September 2015. The new store, which will seat 54 people, will carry around 1,500 products, including gluten-free, hot and raw food and a range of drinks such as kombucha. CEO Simon McCarroll is committed to bringing healthy eating to the area after seeing an improvement in his own health after adopting a plant-based diet, as well as showing that vegan foods are delicious. The range of food products that can be made vegan continues with the announcement that Canadian bread company Osery Bakery is launching an animal-free packaged brioche. The company is offering samples of the new Brioche Bites and Brioche Buns at the Natural Products Expo West in Anaheim, California, which is taking place this weekend. Osery has replaced typical brioche ingredients such as butter, milk and egg with plant-based alternatives. The new range will complement and expand the brand's existing assortment of morning rounds, snacking rounds and one buns in flavours such as muesli, cranberry orange and date and chia. The family-owned business is committed to creating healthy products. Using real fruits and grains, all Osiri Bakery products are free of dairy, egg, nut, tree nut, soy, artificial flavours, colours, preservatives, additives and GMOs. The new brioche buns and bites will be available at leading natural speciality and grocery stores across the US from early May this year. Isn't it great to see more and more products veganised? It's more proof that we just don't need animal parts or secretions to make tasty and healthy food. Still on the subject of veganising, the US's most prestigious culinary organisation will host an all-star veganised dinner in New York this month, reports latest vegan news. Curated by Veganizer NYC's Kiki Adami, the James Beard Foundation has brought together chefs Jay Astafa of Jay Astafa Catering and Events, Daphne Cheng of Ladybird and Mother of Pearl, Chloe Coscarelli of By Chloe, 
and Adam Sobel of the Cinnamon Snail to create a delicious plant-based menu accompanied by wines from Quechabella, the vegan and biodynamic winery owned by investor Sebastiano Cossia Castiglione, who I interviewed in episode 7 of this podcast. Guests attending the event will enjoy a six-course dinner. So this is absolutely fantastic. It's so exciting to see these top culinary organisations embrace plant-based food as this really helps to break down any negative stereotypes about it. Kiki Adami is doing an excellent job with her veganising of eateries. Great stuff. Finally, General Mills is continuing its investment into vegan businesses by backing 20-year-old entrepreneur Daniel Katz's D's Naturals brand, reports Fortune. The healthy snack startup makes plant-based no-cow bars that are packed with protein and low in sugar, as well as a line of nut butters. In just two years of business, Dee's Naturals has generated nearly $10 million in annual revenue. Katz told Fortune this was the first investment he'd taken outside his family. The terms of the investment by 301 Inc., the venture capital arm of General Mills, are undisclosed but described as significant. Dee's Naturals joins other plant-based brands that 301 has invested in, including vegan protein maker Beyond Meat, kale chips maker Rhythm Superfoods, and nut milk, cheese and yoghurt brand Kite Hill. It's fantastic to see these big companies recognising that plant-based foods are the future. And how inspiring for a young entrepreneur just 20 years old to have so much success with his vegan brand. Love it. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.